Before we start this podcast, we would like to acknowledge the true locals, the First Nations people who have been custodians of the lands, waters and cultures for tens of thousands of years. We pay respect to First Nations elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this podcast is taking place on Gadigal land in Australia, where sovereignty was never ceded. Glenn Casey has had an astonishing journey through life. Being born in the inner western suburbs of Melbourne, Glenn stumbled upon surfing in his teenage years and was instantly hooked. His self-described addiction has now seen him cement himself in some of surfing's deep history. From getting a job at Rip Curl to competing in the Rip Curl Pro, probably the first and last Melburnian to do so, he went on to pioneer some of Victoria's rugged south coast and big waves with surfing royalty such as Wayne Lynch, Morris Cole and Simon Bartonshaw. Glenn then started a sales agency and scaled it to an $11 million business before parting ways with it to focus on a cause that was much closer aligned to his heart. This came in the form of being contacted by Yvonne Chenard from Patagonia and opening Australia's first Patagonia store. Since then, Glenn has moved on to other projects and is still above all else fighting for a cleaner ocean and a brighter future for his daughter Willow. It was a pleasure to chat to such a humble, well-read and spoken character that clearly has had his place in the history of surfing and continues to do all he can, keeping our oceans a little healthier. Just as a quick precursor to this podcast, um, the day that we recorded, it was raining and Glenn's property up in Byron doesn't have the best Wi-Fi. So there was a lot of jumping and kind of static throughout the podcast. I've done my best with editing. It's definitely still an amazing podcast to tune into. There's some real gold nuggets and there. So just bear with me through some turbulence and some jumpy recording. So I've got Glenn Casey on the podcast today. G'day, Glenn. G'day, Dan. Thanks very much for jumping on, mate. No worries, mate. Um, great to be here. So, um, yeah, we kind of just start where we always do on the Oceans Matter podcast, and that's um, where did you grow up and what was life like growing up? Western suburbs of Melbourne in, in Essendon. And um, it was country back then. It was just a little developing little suburb. Um, we had sort of paddocks around the around the house, and um, but we had a great a great little upbringing. We had all babies and young kids everywhere, so it was like one huge kindergarten, and we got up to all sorts of shit. But yeah, that was. It was a good little spot. I mean, as I grew up, um, the surrounding areas of the western suburbs had had a little bit of um, tough love to it. You know, you had to kind of watch your back. Um, yeah, it would have been was, in those uh, days, hey? Yeah, there were areas that were you didn't really kind of ride your bike through. and um, But kind of where I was, um, you know, it was, was really cool. It was lovely. And um, yeah, I, I just like love your story because I guess I, I kind of see a bit of myself in it, like growing up in Melbourne, quite far from the ocean. Um, it's definitely not like a lot of kids that get into surfing that just kind of ride their bike over the hill. Like how, how did how did you get into surfing? When, when did it first, when did you first kind of 
cross paths with it? And um, how did that kind of that start to unfold in your life? Well, my my first actual riding a wave, I went to. I was very fortunate to get to know a. Um, well, it was my my best mate back then in primary school, you know, and he he dragged me and my mate Johnny down there for school holidays, and we we really didn't get away much um, in those early days. But um, his brother, his older brother uh, David, um, uh, he had this kind of log, and uh, yeah, we used to go to Anglesey Back Beach and. Um, I think I think my first or second wave, I literally took off and speared this clubby clubby guy in the chest, um, <laughs> and uh, I got I got in all sorts of trouble. And um, he probably deserved it. <laughs> you know that that's that was my sort of you know I could have either gone either way. You know I could have been you know scared off or uh, but anyway I got I I just I just sensed because I was I was brought up as a the Olympics, um, you know, with some pretty big names and uh, she got an ear infection. So she, she kind of lived throughout, throughout um, swimming, early swimming days and she took us into um, the city baths a couple of times a week and um, so, yeah, I, I was just a little water baby. She said um, the other two boys were, were hard at it and you were just swimming under the water, you know, trying to find coins and stuff. So, um, you know, uh, I just I just think, Fishy by nature, and I love water, so I think um, it was a, a, an easy transition yeah. once I found down the board and Anglesey and the surfing. I um, I kind of I started the uh, what I'd call a, a fairly strong addiction to surfing. You know, <laughs> yeah, I completely affiliate with that. I I also like my best friend had a house in Aries Inlet, and um, so we were kind of always going down there growing up, learning it. And my sister actually really got me into it to start with. She she caught the addiction when she was about eighteen, and um, she didn't really have any girl like friends that were girls that wanted to surf with her back then. It wasn't really a big thing, and definitely not in yeah. Victoria. So she just took. She's seventeen years older than me, so she used to take me down with her like every weekend when she was going down from the time I was about twelve um, down to Aries and Anglesey and that kind of area. And um, there's some really good waves there for learning how to surf from Point Road Night to Urquhart's Bluff and everywhere in between. Yeah. But then, yeah, kind of as, as I got older, like just coming across paths of other Melburnians that were addicted to surfing and you kind of all find each other and create a little a little group that push each other. So, yeah, what was what was your little crew like, like back then? Um, who were kind of you, you sinking your teeth into it with and what were some of the adventures that you guys are getting up to well we we kind of um yeah we did you know everything we could to um you know get down to the coast and yeah, i mean obviously it was back then it was an hour and a half to get to Torquay, and you know ha- however way i could get down i'd get the train then i'd you know hitchhike from geelong or um you know i, I just did all sorts of crazy things until i did meet uh, a couple of, you know, um, my 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 best mate Mark Wilbur Wild, um, Paul Paul Eddie Hart, and uh, Andrew Eagle—they're all Western suburbs. Um, you know, Moody Ponds, Broad Meadows. Um, you know, and and Andrew, the oldest, the, the oldest of uh, 
uh, our group had a car and so he'd flick around um, places where we worked and throw He was, was um, a completely unique little town and fell in love with it and, and you knew everyone at, at, at the uh, you know at, at the pub and you know and you, you almost knew everyone in the surf um, and uh, those early days yeah they were pretty wild there was a whole lot of you know people that lived in town and um, people rode horses through the There was fights. There was people rolling around on the floor. You know, had too many mushrooms. I don't know what they'd taken, but but it was it was a wild little town. And, um, but it was just this. Uh, was surfing and and um, and then before I knew it, um, you know, I was um, uh, in the Torquay Border Riders. Um, what what a what age yeah. was that, Glenn? Because I, I kind of find it amazing, like um, someone coming from Melbourne can kind of seamlessly integrate into the kind of core surfing community so quickly. Yeah. Because, um, like, I, I guess growing up when we were going down, we always felt like a bit of the outsider syndrome, like um, surfing yeah. down around kind of areas and stuff. Like, the guy, even though we we're down there every single weekend, like the the local guys weren't being like, you know, hey, how you going? Do you want this wave? You know, they'll kind of like just stare at yeah. you and kind of just talk, talk behind your back kind of thing. Um, yes. What like what kind of age did you get into the board riders and like how how is that assimilation into the kind of the local guys? Like that sounds like back then for you it worked out a lot more seamlessly. Yeah, well, I was only 16, 17, and and um, you know, we were. I was surfing in the junior Torquay Border Juniors, and um, and I guess um, you know we, me and uh, some of my mates, we had pretty personalities. So we were, you know, we were like the uh, you know the the, the, the town jesters and, and the clowns that run around doing doing silly things, and and people just loved us, and and so we sort of fitted in pretty quickly. With the locals back then, there, there didn't seem to be as much resistance in the uh, late seventies. There was still an innocence um, to the town and the egoic kind of block detective and 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 start to kind of control, um, you know, what people paddled out to their waves and 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 yeah. who they interacted with, and they were very dismissive and and. And so forth. Transactions sort of took place along the coast, and yeah, there was places you still had to be careful. Like if you paddle out at Bird Rock, um, you know, I got told to go when I was in the caravan park. Hey, get out. you know, go back to you know Janja car park, and um, there was a fierce in the water. But as I got a bit older and a bit bigger, and um, you know, we'd go and play pool at the pub and get to everyone. And and as I said, the board, the talkie board rider kind of track pants, um, everyone kind of welcomed you and and um, made you feel good. So um, yeah, I didn't know that you did, but 
But um, you know, as, as time went on, it, it definitely as I as I started to get you know as I started as I started lived there, I moved down there sort of like seventies was. I definitely had that that vibe. Someone knew that cattle out at Winky Pot went straight to the inside. You know, we we stand our ground and start saying something. You know, so it was yeah. it was um, you know. I guess as well, like it's just kind of at the same time, surfing is getting more popular and breaks are getting more crowded. And I think it's a little bit, bit of it's like a scarcity thing. Like there's not, there's more people, there's not as many waves. So kind of like maybe when yeah. a little bit earlier on, there were more waves to go around for for whoever was there. But kind of now, you know, like it's, it's just so crowded that kind of people do have to, or do want to stand their ground and, and kind of protect what, what's left a little bit, which is yeah. understandable. Yeah, and a lot of old, old the older crowd, they they kind of sit in those nostalgic kind of feelings of what it used to be and how, how um, you know, they got every blade they wanted. And then as, you know, the new crew came in and um, started taking their waves, they, they, they'd go back to those kind of, you know, oh God, you know, the old days and this is how it used to be and, you know, you've ruined it. So that there was a bitterness and a resentment of the, the new crew coming through. But, it, you know, I mean, yeah, surfing right now is it's a crowded, it's a crowded activity and you, it's, um, you know, it's like a, in some days <laughs> at Atlantic Point, it's like a scene out of, um, you know, it's like Ragnar Lock, you know, all these own Ragnar Lock brought, in Viking, you know, <laughs> 15 blocks and <laughs> yeah, fully. <laughs> well, at least, at least at Lennox, it's kind of a good wave. I was living in Bondi for three years and it was like that every day, and it was over a two foot close yeah. out. Did you find like your surfing um, compared to kind of other teenagers or young adults when you were down there? Um, like, comparing it obviously like you were doing competitions and stuff like how did you find your surfing kind of because a lot of those kids would have started when they were like seven you know how did you find your surfing kind of progress into your teens and early 20s did you feel like you had a lot more room to improve later on than some of those kids that might have been kind of at it really hard really early yeah definitely um you know there was you know there was four or five juniors down there that were you know like Oh, you know, say Greg Brown, he was brought up at Lawn, um, Warren Powell, uh, you know, and and uh, other guys, you know, from the talk area. You know, you'd, you'd go to the schoolboys. Um, we, we used to compete in the schoolboys um, and they were just leagues ahead, just, just doing all these turns and, you know, and uh, – but as as time went on, um, we we kind of – um, I don't know what it was, but I don't know whether we just had a different mindset and, and we had this, you know, sheer determination to improve. But, yeah, we kind of um, seemed to sort of uh, improve the, you know, were ripping and then all of a sudden they sort of, they seemed to just sort of stay in their, in their kind of performance um, where we kind of, um, yeah, jumped. jumped a couple of hurdles and became quite um, well. And um, but uh, you know, uh, it, it wasn't with everyone. You know, a guy like Greg Brown from Gash Surfboards was 
he was incredible and all but you know there was other guys that just stayed at that average um bypassed them and um and I think we chased a lot of different experiences in surfing and we used to and a lot of those guys would they'd be like king of sparrows or king of bird rock or king of drain pipe but um they didn't get out and surf you know winky pop or big bells or go down the coast or you know they just sort of stuck in their, their yeah. narrow little little place and, and that was it they were happy with that so yeah it's fun know. it's funny i actually especially since i moved to the northern beaches um i've noticed that a lot like the the local guys they just seem to surf their one spot a lot which just, yeah. I don't know if it's coming from Melbourne and just being so used to driving an hour and a whatever to get a wave at any time of my life. But like for me, yeah. if you have a day off and not going to explore different options or like go have a go, you know, one go South one weekend, the next weekend go North kind of thing. Like, yeah, I don't know if that's from coming from Melbourne, but it's it just seems so natural to me to want to try and find different waves and and better waves and and just the, the curiosity that's instilled in in me and and like obviously yourself. I know you used to go down south a lot and love that kind of area. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I had a, a job as a travelling salesman, you know, with Rip Curl, and and so you know it was nothing to do, you know, have a sort of six hour you know, kind of hit in the car, you know, like go up and see a menswear and, you know, up at Denman or, you know, uh, head down to see a surf shop in Portland, you know. And and so those, I don't know, I just, it became, uh, to get into a car and, you know, I would blink an eye doing those those kind of miles. So, so if the surf is good somewhere, you know, and, and I had some time up my sleeve, I'd just drive there. I wouldn't even, you know, and that, um, yeah, it could have come from a little bit of, you know, being a Melbourne-born kind of surfer and having to work a little harder, you know, get down the coast. But, but um, you know, I bet it also it's just, you know, just, just that great desire to, you know, fulfil a feeling uh, you know, almost an addiction to uh, yeah. to some waves. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I know all about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that itch that can never be scratched. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, oh, that's cool, mate. It's good insight. Um, and so you got a wild card to the Root Curl Pro one year as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah. Look, I was, I was, uh, I was still. Uh, still in Melbourne. Uh, I was, and um, and my mate uh said, "Look, you want to go in the in in the bells?" And I said, "Oh God, you know, like, yeah, look, if you want to, you, you could enter the trials. You pay thirty bucks and enter this thing called the Quicksilver Trials, and that's there wasn't any queue. Rolled up to an event, and they had this." This uh, week before it, they had the uh, top 16 in the world. So that was sort of the format back then. And, uh, yeah, somehow I luckily surfed, you know, uh, I, I got a new board, a whole, whole heap of, you know, real positive things kind of happened and and um, 
couldn't put a foot wrong and uh, I was just lucky other people waves and I got through, um, I think I came 15th in the Quicksilver trial. So I got to against Shane Aran in the main event, in the first round of the main event, um, wow. like the WSL is today. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just awesome. Like, um, you know, it was the pinnacle of competitive career. I wasn't, I wasn't that. Um, you know, the whole town kind of turned up and um, it was in the papers and, um, you know, Melbourne-born surfer, you know, makes it into the main event at Bells, which was a little bit um, unique. You know, most of the really good surfers that were getting through were, like you said, you know, born and bred on the coast and surfed all their life. You've only been surfing four or five years, really. Absolutely. Um, I, I reckon you'll probably yeah. be the first and only person, Melbourneian surfer, to surf in the Bells final. <laughs> Sorry, in the, in the Bells yeah. game. <laughs> well, I was lucky because I was, I was really fit. You know, I, I'd come out of um, uh, playing a lot of footy and then um, I I played basketball. My One of my mates I work with, um, he became, he went to the Olympics and I think became an Australian welterweight champion, but um, we we trained, and so I, I was extremely fit. And um, and funny because I, I I'm pretty good mates with Shane now, and um, laughs about that. And he goes, oh, "I've got to whisper that you're a boxer," and um, I was a bit scared of you, you know, like you know, and I and I was laughing because because uh, you know at that time um, Shane was going through and he was running. Fat, fatter, wider tail boards, McCoy boards, and um, he was and um, and he beat me. Um, he lost his ball even in the heat, and um, he beat me by half a point or something like that. And um, and everyone was you know all upset, and you know, but I still got free beers that night at the pub, and um, <laughs> got that on the back. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, that sounds so. so after that kind of. Um... After that comp, was it like in your mind, were you getting paid or was was professional surfing kind of looking like a potential career for you or was it just like a one-off thing that you were Yeah, I, I could. Yeah, I, I was hanging out with um, sort of Tony Ray and John Darby and um, and uh, they they were um, then following the year we kind of went in again. I didn't go as good, but they were like, "Come, let's let's go and do the pro tour." You know, it's a complete. It's amazing. You know, it's a big party, and then try and get into the. But right at that time, um, I there was sort of this fork in the road, and I I um, uh, girl actually offered for me. I, I was I just got a job in Rip Curl retail store and they offered me this position as sales rep up in Sydney and I either went on the on the uh, world tour, you know, um, or take this job up in Sydney. So I ended up going the safe road, <laughs> which, um, is, I mean, who knows where it all would have would have gone, but um, the Tony Ray ended up doing 15 or 16 years on the tour. My mate John Darby jumped out, I think, a year later. He wasn't... He wasn't um, making much money out of it and um, and uh, couldn't get sponsors. And then, yeah, I just I ended up doing a year in Sydney and then, you know, in the Torquay um, surf uh, warehouse for Rip Curl and, and having a nice life out of, like, tuggy 10 years there. And I got 
a lot of things set up. I got uh, I got a lot of um, surfing surfing in. Um, back then, you could, um, you know, I had a man of amazing people that would come through the warehouse. Um, we were making wetsuits out the back. We we had surfboards getting made a bit further around around the back, and just you know, surfing back then had an eclectic mix of just really amazing human beings, you know, all walking free and around doing their thing. So I just I felt really blessed to be in the company and um and to be to be able to um you know live a fairly fairly free free life. Um yeah. What a what a time. It was kind of, it was kind of like the core roots of surfing back then you're in in the thick of it. Um yeah. Yeah, can you can you tell me a bit about how that kind of started and what and what was it like early on? Like I know it was kind of a bit of the wild west back in those days in Torquay. Do you have any stories or times or people that stood out as kind of unforgettable moments that you kind of still relive today? Yeah, I guess. Look, you know, <laughs> Rip Girl and uh, you know was well known for its you know sex and rock and roll kind of. Um, you know, the early 80s was a sort of hedonistic kind of partying pretty hard. There was a lot of, yeah, a lot of sort of the, the, the party drugs were moving through town. And so you'd have these Friday night drugs, you know, ended up in, um, you know, you'd end up at you know, somebody's house and, you know, it was, but but all the guys that, that were there and that, that had started the industry, they were just, I, I kind of I was there early days when um, you know what they called the, the printing money era, where they just started to put big root curl logos on hooded windshields and backpacks and the men's the, the menswear groups, um, which ended up sort of morphing into loose all of the menswear's um, established you know clothing clothing stores back then um and then it went into you know from menswears it ended up going into places like you know the, the general men's you know other other type of surf stores um but anyway we we uh i ran around um yeah selling all that during the week and then yeah you'd come back and hang out with um, some awesome people job i handed it handed um Mark Mark Richards, uh, his uh, his wedding, Terry Fitz, Michael Peterson, they'd come in and all get suits moved by John Pyle and Sparrow out the back, and the characters that just hovered around that because um, it was the only wetsuit manufacturer. Uh, Quicksilver made board shorts and you know a few t-shirts and stuff, but. Generally, they sort of stay out of each other's territory. Um, you stay in that paddock, we'll stay in this one. And um, and then it all, yeah, then sort of, you know, everything started to hover in the 80s and 90s. It started to uh, make a serious amount of coin. Um, and uh, we end up, um, you know, uh, getting busier and busier. Um, and, uh, and, and then I think... Um, God, I think within a couple of years, you know, we were, I think I was, agency was doing something like 300,000 with, with Rickel and then, you know, bang, it was, um, and that just went up and up and up and up till, 
pretty amazing yeah. story, isn't it? Um, like I've just, have, have you watched How Surfers Get Paid? I'm sure you probably have uh, on Stab, yeah. they did a series, How Surfers Get Paid. Oh, I, 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 I didn't watch it properly, but I, I did. Yeah, I saw Jordy Smith having a <laughs> <laughs> having a crack. Yeah, yeah. It's actually funny because they've just put up a new Italo thing, and he's having a crack at Jordy, and that was recorded before the Jordy thing was recorded. So they're having oh. a crack at each other without even knowing that one or another have had a crack. <laughs> Yeah, no way. Awesome. Yeah. So there's definitely yeah, yeah. a bit of a bit yeah, of beef was, there, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, it was great, you know, the because once, you know, I mean, having the Bells Beach Pro there, I got to know some really lovely surfers over the years. Um, I used to have Brad Gook stay with me. I used to, you know, I well, I still know them pretty well. They're all I, I bump into every now and again. Um, you know, um, Obviously, yeah, bump into Shane and Barton Lynch and all all those guys. They all came in and got their weddies, or they all cruised around, and we'd end up all drinking, you know, back then in the uh, late eighties at, at some of the clubs or, or you know some of the pubs in Geelong. And yeah, it was fun times. It was really good. It was yeah, it's it's crazy. It's just sounded pretty much like a two horse race then between Rippy and Quicksilver. Um, I'm sure yeah. it was, would have simplified things a lot, like. It would have been a really good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we all drank together at the pub. You know, Alan Green would sit there with with, with Brian Singer from Rip Curl. Alan, Alan Green started Quicksilver with John Law and Brian yep. Singer and Doug Warbrick started Rip Curl. So, and they'd all just have a laugh. The gloves would be off. Um, you know, they'd be talking about, you know, you know, how they're going to bloody, you know, take over the world and, and they'd all be laughing and giggling and we'd all be standing around listening listen to these two, you know, kind of power hung, kind of uh, a little, a little boxing match, hands uh, and designs and, and, um, but yeah, as soon as they hit the pub, the gloves are off. They were, they were, they were all best mates. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it was like, I don't know, like a little footy club, you know, everyone was cool with each other, but you know, once, once they went back to their, to their brands and, yeah, it's been a healthy, healthy competition. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but you, you did that for a while and then, and you kind of stepped away into your own thing, which was um, creating a bit of an agency. Um, was that, yeah. that kind of, was that unusual back then? Like, I know they're pretty commonplace now to start up a, a sales rep agency, but can you tell me a bit about kind of how, how that came apart and what brands you were kind of representing at the time? Yeah. Well, um, well, and he he died of an asthma attack, and he he had Quicksilver, the the agency to run Quicksilver. Um, and my other close mate Craig Stevenson, who ended up Quicksilver USA, and you know became went right up the you know the corporate ladder. And he had Stussy and Rusty, so I was doing rip curl, um, you know, wetsuits and accessories and blah blah blah, and. Um, so he came to me and he said, "Look, do you want do you want to take these these brands um, and add it to you know your?" And I said, "Oh God, okay." Well, anyway, Rip Curl knocked me back and um, said, "Look, we we can't let you do Rusty." And and I said, "Fair enough." So I left and ended up, you know, running with those two brands. And Stussy was doing really really 
well back then. Um, and then I ended up, yeah, doing an agency and buying a little, I bought a little warehouse in South Melbourne and set it up with four showrooms and, and just went, yeah, from strength to strength. Rusty kind of went crazy. I had a swimwear brand. I had ended up Arnett Eyewear. And so, so yeah, you just sort of, it was like an escalator, you know, what, what brands were going well, were heading up the escalator and, and then at some kind of, um, you know, end of life and they'd fall. So, yeah, I ended up at some point I was doing about $11 million. Wow. And were you just on the road most of the time? Like how were you? You said you had showrooms in Melbourne. Were people coming to your showrooms yeah. to check it out or were you mainly on the road to to show? Yeah, they, could, they, they just came in. Yeah, we just we stopped having to go on the road. We did a bit of stock service with Arnett um, and uh, a couple of other things we did, but generally they'd come in um, and do do their in-den orders um, and out they'd go and, and that that ended up three times a year. And so most of the other, as I built it up, I ended up spending, yeah, less time up in Melbourne and more time. And I ended up around that time I built down in the forest in, in my yurt down in the bush. And um, so I had an office in there. So <laughs> I was surfing and then coming back and doing a bit of emailing and a few phone calls. Yeah. Epic. The, that was down around. Bush. Kind of Johanna Apollo Bay area was it? Yeah, Yulong was yeah. called, and it was just the yeah, just above Johanna, up in the hills, and uh, awesome, awesome little part of my life, very special. Where I yeah, kind of really fell in love with trees, I suppose. You know, trees. Yeah. I had huge, big eucalypts all around me. You know, hundred and fifty year old eucalypts. Yeah, it's such a sacred coastline down there as well. It feels like you're in Jurassic yeah. Park. Were you, yes, um, it is. You and a lot of friends kind of doing doing trips down there and just surfing by yourself and camping out and enjoying yeah. the fickle but amazing waves when they're on? Yes, exactly. And we, you know, we all got four-wheel drives and, and that was kind of around that time I met some very spiritual, special people um, one was kind of a yogi, uh, Simon Buttonshaw, who was actually one of the founding artists um, from uh, Quicksilver, who started a lot of their board short designs and all that. But he was an incredible painter. Wow. Um, him and Wayne, it was me and John Darby, and we kind of cruised around in our four-wheel drives and, and slept on the cliffs and went found waves and, and searched, searched all sorts of spots and discovered a lot of really really special um, little bays and places. And so, yeah, I was kind of mixing that with with um, running back up the highway and doing some uh, showings and surf industry, you know, sort of uh, sales work. Yeah. Sounds like you really <laughs> kind of cur- curated your life to suit you. Yeah. And it, it, I did. Really, it worked as well. Like a lot of my bosses would be giggling, you know, podcast, but, you know, I'd, um, you know, I'd be making calls from climbing up trees and finally the, the mobile phone came out sort of in the 80s, late 80s and mobile phone and um, 
And, uh, you know, my bosses, you know, be, oh, that, that's a sound, that bird tweeting and that that <laughs> roar in the background. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, got one of the CDs, the um, relaxing CDs on. <laughs> no, they, I think they knew that, you know, I was, uh, I was sort of the adventure junkie. Um, yeah. Got the figures, no one, they kind of left me alone and, um, you know, and they, they knew that I had, a lot of the, the – I had, as I said, six people working for me, so they were running around doing a lot of the legwork. Um, I just uh, came in and, and crunched, crunched the, uh, the final, final sales indenting program. Yeah, about three months of the year, I suppose, three or four months of the year where I worked incredible, you know, I could go surfing whenever I wanted. So yeah. I did. Yeah, so you, you had that kind of time um... – yeah, chasing waves and, and building your, your business simultaneously. And I'm sure like your surfing must have come a long way through there as well, surfing some of those kind of bigger, heavier, more remote waves down south. Did you kind of felt like that was, you know, helping your surfing presence was helping your business presence as well because you had more legitimacy from the surfing community? Yeah, look, I was uh, – look. Um... Around that time, I got a lot of really good shots of the the Gash boys, Mark Phipps, you know, Greg Brown and, um, you know, all the crew, you know, all our, our little local posse kind of in the late 80s. And um, and so, yeah, he got a couple of couple of good shots. I got a front cover on, um, it, was, uh, it was around 1990, I think it was, um, you know, and uh, and that kind of, and that kind of gave my profile a bit of a lift, even though, you know, fame's very short, you know, a couple of weeks you, you're forgotten and everyone moves on. But yeah. people were people were stoked to, you know, see me and, and uh, thought I was, you know, somewhat a bit of a little little surf legend or whatever, whatever you want to kind of name it. But uh, I always, um, I just went surfing and, and um, but... Uh, you know, a lot of those, a lot of those trips down there. You know, a lot of the times I'd just be surfing on my own down there and hoping someone would come over the hill. And uh, <laughs> it was an incredible, incredible time um, for me and and um, and a lot of other. You know, like I said, you know those those other guys that were were all hanging around. Um, we we had a little moment. You know that that probably we'll never see again, you know, where we, we did have waves to ourselves. We surfed some of the big, big places, reef breaks. Um, we're putting our life on the line some days, you know, I had, I had, um, could have drowned in without, I did a little bit of the early Hawaii stuff, you know, um, I, I, I remember getting mowed down by a 20 foot wave, uh, literally landing on my head thinking, okay, I'm going to die here. And a few years earlier, I um, I got hit by four or five waves at 15 foot landing at Kaya in Hawaii, and I nearly drowned. And and I kind of felt like I went into that, um, like I'd left my body or some spirit basically <laughs> floating around under there. I, I I'd let go, you know. I almost died, you know, and I popped up, survived, and so I, I kind of. It, you have to learn the tough way, but I kind of had that that instilled in me and how far I could, you know, stay underwater. And I realised just how much breath breath I had and how how 
long I could stay conscious for, even though my mom's saying, breathe, breathe. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Because it's yeah. such a mind game. Like your body's got so much oxygen in it. It has. I can't even imagine what it would have been like then. Like I've just kind of started surfing some bigger out of reeves myself and I've got like the flotation on and, you know, really good leggies now and a, a suited board to it. But even still, yeah. like, your mind just plays so many tricks in you. I can't imagine what it was like back then before you had all that stuff and the safety of, you know, like there's people around when, when you're out there now and it's big, like you're not kind of by yourself. Like you still are, you feel by yourself underwater, but not, you're not as by yourself as what you guys would have been. Yeah. Like we, me and was just Wayne Lynch, two of us out and, um, you know, and was just really this way in the morning and, and yeah, we didn't have flation. We had these big leg ropes with a, a guy, called Park, who made full bore accessories and we went in there and uh, we got we got these massive 15 or 18 foot I had a little let me have a little crease in it thought oh please don't. <laughs> ankle everything was black it was just like this water just pumbling me and you kind of feel like your eyes are kind of going to pop out of your head. There's so much pressure around, and um, and then I popped up, and and um, and then you know you get the next one, and you get the next one. There's Wayne Lynch sitting there looking at me, going, "Come on, how was that?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, you know that was that was pretty full on. I guess we should go in now." And he goes, "The just started. Let's go." And he just turned <laughs> and. <laughs> back out and we surfed for five hours you know some of the most incredible waves of my life but there was i mean that was just one one experience you know it was there was you know there was a lot of yoga and a lot of breath work and i i guess i was in that i was facing death I, i was looking at the deeper um part of my being and 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 you're there at any point your board could hit you in the head, knock you out, and now you go. You know you're 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 off the planet. And um, but my earth earth suit seemed to um, withstand it, and um, I was able to pop up. And, and then I continued as you know early nineties, and and um, uh, I suppose um, I I guess I wouldn't say I had a death wish, but I definitely chased. A lot of surf instead of surfing bells, I'd drive down and surf something twice the size down the coast just because. Yeah. Was it was it a big right hand point break down the coast? Yeah. Yeah, it was and uh, you know, we all keep it pretty quiet and and yeah. um pretty quiet. It's one of the rare ones, you know, they don't let you photograph and uh yeah, but it's uh, there's yeah, a few of them. And, a few of my mates have started yeah. surfing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful, incredible, incredible place. And um, but yeah, it's uh, it, look a lot of a lot of big wave guys now do super duper training for it. A lot of breath work, um, you know. Did you and uh, doing breath breath hold training back then? Nah, no. I just I mean it's. I guess uh, yoga. Um, I I was doing I guess just breathing you know and obviously when you're in a wipeout and everything's black and you got your eyes closed i just go into that place where 
I was doing this breathing, this, and I just, I just sit there. And, um, and if, if things got kind of weird, um, you know, prayer to, you know, you know, some guy got leg rope caught around rocks, um, you know, uh, women without a leg rope, you know, you name it. Um, I could, I could talk for an hour about, um, some of the experiences, near death experiences. Yeah, I bet. It sounds like you guys are really, really pushing the envelope back then as well. So it's like there's just even more more variables that aren't as certain as they are now with all the equipment. Yeah, um, especially a Western Suburbs kid was, you know, just riding skateboard. Um, you know, the, that was, the, you know, 10 years later I'm riding 15 foot waves and, and, um, but, you know, 10 years earlier, I was thinking that I was, you know, Larry Bellman doing these cutbacks on concrete around someone's driveway in the suburbs, you know, and that, that, that's just the way that you can change your mind and change your life purely by the change of your mind. And you can be in control of that, you know, and that, 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 that way of life, um, as, you can um, purely through the power of you know positive thing and where you want to go you can make those things happen you know yeah yeah for sure and, and I think wanting like for me growing up out of, out of my friends I was actually probably the most scared um, out of all, all the boys growing up like surfing when we we're 18 and stuff I remember yeah. a few sessions at a wave in um, Aries Inlet that gets kind of good when it's big and it's kind of scary and like I just pulled back on a few and my mates just never, like, they just didn't let me forget it for that session for weeks to come. And I was just like, I never want that feeling ever again. Like I don't want, I'd rather go over the falls and, and get smoked and be scared of that than the feeling on the other side, which is pulling back and wondering. And, and then obviously I think it wasn't just an overnight thing, but like you just, then you just want it. And once you want it and you, you got to want it more than you're scared. So. And you just kind of creep that level up and you just keep showing up and yeah, it's amazing how you can, can adapt. Yeah. And the ocean Gigi, you know, like that, what did that situation teach you, you know, and, and, um, and it, it, it really, you know, the, the, the fluidity of, of the water and all the things that you do in it, you know, really can shape, you know, shape your mind and the, the, that voice that's, Oh no, I can't do this. Um, you know, in in that situation, <clears throat> made you come back to shore and sit down and and where that thought came from, and I'll let go now and um, and just take off. And you know, there that's surfing. That's that's the beauty of um, being able to um, experience something in a natural state. It's, mm. it's really cool. cool. Yeah, it's super super cool. Yeah. Yeah, along the same time, kind of after your um, agency days were gone, you, you got reached out to by Patagonia to bring Patagonia to Australia. What was kind of your memories there? Like, how did that all come about? It's a pretty amazing accomplishment to be to bring, um, like, you know, one of the world's best, most sustainable ethical brands to be the first person to bring that to Australia. Like, you know, a lot of people must have thought really highly of you for for you to be the person to to reach out to. Yeah, I had forest, and and basically I had at that time I actually had a uh, logging company 
try and kind of 70 acres sort of around my around the year or the you know where I lived in the forest and um and so I I just and, and right at that time right when all that was going down and I was going you know going into some of the um uh the meetings in Colac and you know coming up with ways that I could you know get get them to not uh do a little bit of environmental space and uh yeah you came up and um i started seeing what they were doing and it was really funny because brian singer from rip curl he always would bring up in the meetings he'd talk about this even chenard guy and how incredible he was and that he gives a lot of money away to uh you know um back to nature one percent for the planet and and I always remember him talking about it and then um, the, the brand Patagonia. And um, so anyway, I started, you know, having a look at it and saw what they were doing. And then lo and behold, Wayne, we, were, we did a lot of sailing in, in Wayne's catamaran and um, Wayne says to me, oh, I've been approached by this guy, Rick, Rick Ridgeway, by Patagonia. Um, and Wayne was having a bit of a heart. I said, oh, that's so funny, I've been... I've been sort of doing some research on the web about them and their incredible company. And, and then about four or five weeks later, Dave Parmenta, surfboard shaper, and Andrew Kidman, a filmmaker, came down and we had this little run around in the, in the yacht. And, and they basically, uh, Dave Parmenta was really close with Yvonne Chenard, good mate, and um, got on to... I just feel like this is this is the brand. Rick Ridgeway, and he put me onto this. I was literally getting on a plane to come out and and meet some blokes Sydney to do Patagonia in Australia. And um, Huntley Horn was his name, and um, ended up meeting him, me Wayne, and and um, um, and he went back and he you know, but I was. Walking in, shaking Elon Shinard's hand, on um, a um, a deal with with them and their products and all their you know stuff, and they send it in, you know over in a container, and then I sell it. And um, so yeah, and we 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 um, it was just uh, it's just an incredible company. I'll I'll always be grateful for the um, I don't know fifteen or sixteen sales trips I went over there and. Spent quite a few days just just talking with him. I've, I've shown him around the coast of Victoria. I took him down to the yurt in the forest, and um, he, he's just a beautiful man. And and uh, man, and and um, they they um, yeah, we kind of basically what happened is the GFC kind of hit a couple of years in, and and we were struggling. It was to kind of get off the ground, everyone, cottons or, you know, how much money we gave away to nature. It, it was, it was um, you know, they were just kind of, you know, they were great ideals but really competitive yeah. and everyone was sort of pushing us out and sort of, so, yeah. You know, like a little bit ahead of its time in that era in Australia maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and um a lot of people knew of it, but it was mainly as an outdoor brand, which we, you know, put it into the air 
marketplace. But but my my idea was to run it as a hybrid and run see the the kind of the demise of the the surf industry and they were putting flagship stores, you know, vertical retail stores everywhere next to really good mum and pop kind of surf stores. Um, yeah. They still are. <laughs> but, yeah, still doing it and uh, they've got in all sorts of, you know, kind of dramas, but sad. But, um, yeah, that's maybe. But anyway, I'm not in. I'm not here to judge anyone. But essentially we we thought we'd roll out the, the surf the surf side of Patagonia, which they've always made boards and wetsuits and board shorts. That's why I did the Torquay store in 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 Tinseltown, Torquay, where a lot of big brands started in Australia, Oakley, Reef, Quicksilver, Rip Curl, you name it, <laughs> Dragon. They're all they're all um, you know, kind of bouncing out of that little surf precinct precinct there. And um but we went that. across the thing and um and uh, it's just yeah, we should create that and um, and move on from it. You know, it's been really good to move on from it as well. You know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's always good to have a it's a, it's a big piece of your life, a brand all consuming and uh, in, in a way, even though it's it's got a really pure uh, aspect to it, Patagonia. It it can be um, just just you know. You, you sometimes can't see the other aspects on and and, um, and I'm doing other things with other brands. Um, so so yeah. been a great period in my life, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll always be eternally thankful to Nards and um, all the over there. Um, yeah, awesome. Yeah, it must have been an incredibly period. educational time in your life as well. Um, you I, know. I was in awe, awe of um you know, Rick Rick Ridgeway, the um he was just out actually. He's got he's got a book out called Life Live Wild. And um and Rick was the most when I'd go to those conferences, I'd just be sitting on the edge of my chair and it was just like, you know, sitting in some spiritual kind of temple with 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 gurus and, and all these people. And Rick would just get up and and to me is the most inspirational. Wow. I, and all this incredible. I'll have to read that book. I'll definitely have to read that book. It sounds like. Yeah, get that book. It's I've, I'm about halfway through it. Um, Life Live Wild by Rick Ridgway, and he he was a driving motor of the whole environmental movie. It was Yvonne's best mate. Did a lot of climbing and a lot of stuff together. But uh, an incredible mind and a really intelligent human. And um, I uh, I just saw recently in Byron. He did a um, yeah, um, that that the powerhouse. Like to me, Yvonne, Yvonne obviously was you know agreeing and doing this and doing that and making sure. You know, but he was sort of like the of 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 everything good about Patagonia, and he, he made all those decisions, very financial decisions for the company at the time to go completely organic cotton or to. Um, you know, give away quite a lot of your turnover to to you know grassroots um, groups, but but uh, Rick was the motor. Rick Rick just just got out there and um, he just lived the chance to see him or, or read any. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing, kind of um, 
how much of surf culture and the surf industry you've seen change across the journeys, I guess, like from the the seventies and eighties before there was smartphones, you know, strict professional contracts and meet like social media. Do you think that surfing yeah. culture and the surf industry is in a better place now than it was back then? And, and what do you kind of say for the future of the surf industry and what do you want to see? Well, I, I think, I think the industry um, was really pure and innocent, um, obviously when it all begun. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's liking what, what's, egoic you know a lot of um what i call um there's a fair bit of greed in it a lot of people you know went public and 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 yeah so a lot of a lot of push for profit and a lot of push to make you know certain turnover but it but it um and I think they finally realised that uh, in the end um you know there was this incredible saturation point where the turnover south, and uh, and and people couldn't work it out, and then the people were like, "What are you doing? You know, you've you've opened up a flagship right on top of, you know, say that's been here since the '70s, um, and you just you just cutting your nose off despite your face, supplying Mortys, but yours just just became ruthless, and 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 it was very egoic and and selfish, and and. Uh, I can see that coming, and that's why when I saw the way Patagonia their business, it was really kind, and it was a chain and all their 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 shops and retailers as family, and and one retailer um, and work with that retailer, and and they were really happy not to not to make any um, that year. I know I remember sitting there and um, um, Yvonne said, "Look." I don't want any growth. I don't. I do not want any growth this year. You go home, just do what you got to do. But I don't care. I don't want any growth. We're just we're really happy where we are, and you know. Hence, further down the track, uh, I was not surprised that Yvonne, you know, formed a trust and handed the company over to a, uh, a you know a trust. So instead of giving one percent back to nature, they've they're now giving ten percent because in the end. And I spent this a few few moments with Yvonne where he said, "This this company is my educational tool to to wake people up. The, the whole industry, the whole humanity, is asleep to the environmental kind of catastrophe that we could be facing. You know, in the next fifty years, yeah. Water and you know, your potential kids that are coming along are already sitting there going, oh God, you know, like." Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. Like you can just only hope that now that we're seeing it on our doorsteps with, you know, bushfires and floods and everything that those big companies will wake up a bit faster. And I feel like it is coming with some of them. Like I know creatures just went um B Corp and like, you know, people are doing little bits here and there, but it's not moving fast enough. And I, I guess that's just a problem with big business. Like those big corporations, they just can't, they won't move until they have to. Yeah. So and I guess, you know, quick, you know, they got sold to a loss. A, ABG or AGB or something like that. Yeah, ABG, ABG. So pretty, pretty much the whole surf industry is owned just by one, one group now, isn't it? Yeah. Well, they might come out and go, all right, well, you know, we'll we'll sell that to to say me, you know, and then 
I've got to prove to them that I'm going to run Quicksilver and make profit and do all the right things. So you, you're still dealing with the beast. You're still dealing with yeah. these computer robots that sit there and go, well, oh, you know, like, okay, you, you, only, you only got 5% growth. We wanted 15 And it's mm. all that all that pressure that then it, it, it lays back and pressure on our ecology and it puts pressure on our materials. Um, it, it makes it, it, you know, they put pressure on, you know, suppliers and, and, and cut corners in the supply chain and any, any way they can to make, you know, um, the company more profitable. So the shareholders are happy. And, and, and in that model, that, that holistic model is really where um, we've all got to kind of, have a good look at, and I think what Yvon give it all away, basically, and and um, it, it was his baby. You know, it's like I know how that feels once you start something. You know, it's it's pretty, you know, it's pretty hard to give that away, and um, you know, it's uh, it's a credit to the guy. I, I kind of knew he'd do something pretty big at some point. You know, I mean, he's he's eighty something now, so um, you know, I mean, but he's very fit. He's a he's strong. Strong man, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I'm in any point. So, yeah, yeah, that's definitely. I think it needs to be something that's kind of mandatory as well as giving away some percentage of this money. Because where's it all going? Like, that's the question I want to know. Like, everyone's making millions and billions. Where where does it all go? Just sits in a bank account. The business is gonna. Some of it goes back to the shareholders and the people involved, but. It's just stockpiling, isn't it? Really, it's just yeah. It's just sitting yeah, somewhere, it's <laughs> like it's hoarding. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Well, it's like just just that you know the top the top the one percent mm. money and uh, and everyone else just gets living and they get a mortgage and they just you know rats on a Ferris wheel running around you know doing twelve hour days for for people that don't really care about them they just they just want you know they just want their you know 15 percent of their you know um and you know um and and you know um I, as i said i just think there's some great companies out there and i i have no um i'm not i'm not a doom rat i'm not sitting here kind of going there's no one out there having a good go and trying to change this mm. this um, this capitalistic kind of format, but but um, but I do think that you know um, yeah we, we're definitely we're, we're looking at we're looking down the barrel at some pretty hefty changes. Um, COVID hit a lot of business, staring at um, some sort of um, mini little collapse in the next twelve months. So we've all we've all got really careful and. Um, don't overdo it. Be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, stepping away from the business stuff. Um, I know you've kind of talking about your own personal journey. I know you've kind of, your body's been a lot probably through chasing waves and um, you know, all the, all the rest of it. Um, what are you doing? How's your body feeling at the moment and kind of, what are you doing to keep your, your mind and body healthy? I um. I, I would say that my whole um, – I'm 61 now. Um, I've sort of done what I would call 
99% surfing and then 1% yoga. But um, since probably probably the mid-50s, I've, I've shifted that to sort of probably about 50-50 now. I do – I just do a lot of yoga. I do a lot of, you know, meditation. Um, and that's and that's you know that's been an incredible gift um, to my body. Um, I've always eaten well. I've always great. Um, always researched food a lot. I'm I'm uh, a great skeptic about the chemical warfare that's sort of going on out there. The amount of um, pesticides that we're ingesting, and um, you know, it it's just you know, like I think someone did this uh, this ten, eighty beers was like go and eighty uh, which they spray on the the malt and the wheat. Um, it, it ended up in the beer, and then they're doing all these other studies and finding all these um, chemicals which are you know running through which. Sort of the FDA seems to have, you know, either turn a blind eye or they don't, you know, they hide. So my one of my close mates owned the organic. He just kept drumming it into me. You got to, you got to stay organic. You got to stay organic. So thankfully, the food that I do put in my system, um, I'm I'm very careful um, and and looking at all the latest research. So my body's good. I actually had a little fall the other day. Um, uh, that I've sort of ripped my, my AC and, and I'm recovering well from that. So I haven't been fixed, but, and, and my hip, when I got my two new hips, both replaced in point and, and injury will do that. Um, you can, you can kind of go down the rabbit hole a bit with injuries, odd, uh, you know, painkillers and, and all that. And, um, and uh, it can take your mental state pretty low, and um, and I had some low ebbs and and fought my way out of that um, through just being cleansing again, um, cleaning the body, clears the mind, and then kept moving and kept and and um, and combining all that and and recovered really well to the point where I'm <laughs> I'm sort of more flexible now in my early series. Um, through just getting and being kind of very immersed in the whole yogic lifestyle. So, um, yeah, if I can recommend anything, um, do, do yoga, especially do meditation because that's, that's kind of the yoga of the mind and um, the mind game to get through, you know, you need courage and you need all sorts of things to kind of get through these zone of my life um, in the back half five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, you'll start to see where the way in which your mind currents and where they're pulling you and, and what sort of grooves and channels that you're getting stuck in and you get a little detached, you get a bit of a, a witness kind of uh, on on yourself and um, and you can kind of change, you know, the other, the other book that I was going to, uh, Michael Pollan, and it's called, you, you can change your mind. Yeah, I've, I've read that one. It's a great book. Yeah, incredible, incredible guy. Um, he he's done an incredible amount of work on uh, plant medicines, and uh, and you know, it's it's 
it's all this stuff is that is to uh, show up people, a lot of young kids that are taking their lives and and it really is just meditating and facing it and being aware of it and is is a lot of um, people you know to help us through these conscious consciousness battles sort of where I'm going I'm, I'm working on myself consciously through the um, you know the yogi you know sort of way of life now and uh, I guess that's how I'll Depart the planet, leave leave the Earth suit behind, and go surf the cosmos. <laughs> That's it. I'm actually reading a book at the moment. Oh, what's it called? It's like how to deal with trauma, or it's oh, it's got a funny name. But all the, all the study, it's yeah, quite, yeah. I've actually kind of I've probably bitten off a bit more than I can chew. It's a hectic book, like hectic long, and just hectic in its um, nature of kind of all the examples and stuff they use. But they're a clinical psychologist, and they were saying. Um, I was saying that yoga is like by far probably the best treatment for trauma out of anything that, that we have currently, because it just gets people yeah. back in their body, out of their mind, in their body, in tune with their breathing. Um, yeah. Like it, it just, yeah, that was like the, the biggest point of the whole book. If I could summarize it in <laughs> one sentence, it's yoga is better than anything else that we have on the market for treating a lot of their stuff out there, which yeah. is, just shows you like kind of what all the ancient traditions and Eastern medicines and stuff know that, that we don't yeah. kind of just chasing our tail in a circle and like dances just next to us. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, in, in, in Latin, in, in the uh, Latin language, um, the spirit, um, it, it means uh, the one who breathes, you know, the breath, when it goes in through yoga and into your body, it, it brings you more conscious because it's connecting you with your spirit, mm. and, uh, and that spirit is embodied. It's in in the body, and you move it on, and ways um, the new 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 ways of dealing with reality, you know. And if you don't deal with it, reality comes back, and and point you have to deal with you know, this relationship that's not working or this meaningless friendship or this idiot that keeps taking your car park or what, whatever, you know, like, without, you know, um, you know, and so, um, you know, you have to sort of start to look at, look at those things and, um, and by calming, you know, the mind and gentle sort of state, you can look at, you know, in that witness state, you can look at the way that you are carrying out your life and dealing with reality. So it's, uh, I recommend it anymore. You know, I've done it since the twenties. Um, uh, and, and it's funny because my friend Simon Buttonshaw, who introduced me to yoga, shadow yoga now, Simon Buttonshaw named that wave you surf at, at Aries Inlet. No, oh, no way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so those those that sign with no one out. Yeah, wow. Uh, and, and he he named a, a sacred Indian uh, um, place and uh, where he spent a fair bit of time in some of the temples over there and uh, came back and and uh, was walking the cliffs in the uh, late sixties and came across it 
Yeah. Well, there's a little story for you. Yeah, that's amazing. I'll, I'll tell my mates. Um, they'll love that. Cause we, that used to be yeah. the wave in front of like one, our best friend who had a house there. We, it was his family house and not, none of his other family really used the, the house. So we always used to go down there and that's where our little rat pack was fortunate enough to have a base was right out the front of that wave. So oh, brought me a lot, a lot of pleasure and a lot of, uh, a yeah, lot of yeah. anxiety, <laughs> especially when yeah, I, was, yeah. I, I was the kind of, I was a little run to the group. So it was like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Everyone else is frothing yeah, and I was sitting there. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty ferocious wave. I, 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 can, I know why you pulled back. You, you could easily pull back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it was character building. It definitely, it shaped me into to, to what I want to do today anyway. Yeah. So I, I love that wave. Yeah. 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 Yeah, beauty, Glenn. Oh, thanks so much for your time. Just to kind of end, um, we've got just a quick fire round of questions. Um, yeah. But. Feel feel free to go longer if you need to um, elaborate on any of them. But uh, so first one, yeah. is, if you're going to give your 16 year old self any life advice, what would it be? Um, just live your truth. Um, you know, uh, fuck school, fuck your parents. You know, whatever whatever desire they have, it's not yours. It's it. You you have to. You know, it's 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 really important that you live your life, and that's a hard run because there's a lot of, but you yeah, live your truth. Um, you know, just just have courage to step into those shoes, and just and um, and and just stay true to it. You know. Yeah, beautifully said. Um, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? I would love to have another dinner with my godson, James. He's one of the most kids. He passed away at uh, 27 um, under a bit of a misadventure, but he was a beautiful kid. I miss him dearly. Um, and I, I, I turned down a dinner with the Dalai Lama, some great monk or some great, you know, uh, some certainly Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, understandably, mate. Yeah, it's a beautiful answer. And, um, Thinking of all your yeah. cases, I heard about that, and it's um, yeah, it's just tragic. Um, you've already given me a couple, but um, if you have two good book recommendations, what would they be? Living Untethered from Michael Singer, and it's basically a book about how to kind of live outside your mind. Yeah, Michael Singer Untethered was that? Yeah, living living untethered. Um, it's it's his latest book. He, he wrote, I think, it was New York one, um, New York Times. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember the similar name, but but it's it's phenomenal. It's 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 kind of gives you ways to live in the world, but not a part of the sort of. Um, but um, and and. Yeah, I, I actually the other book I I read a lot is I had a um oh it was around the time I did my hips I um and I was down and out and I I found this this book just staring at me in a dangerously and it was written by a monk called Osho um I think his name was Bhagwan Rajneesh but he he kind of 
back run Raj Nash. He's the guy from the the Orange People. Yeah, the Orange People. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you seen yeah, that doco on Netflix? It's, it's pretty full on what happened to him. And um, but this book is phenomenal. It just helped me in that in that time. And I would uh, I would recommend his writings. I don't know about the people around him or what happened to him. I don't really know that much about him. But but that book. Um, what what was it called? Um, so it was my courage. Courage. Yeah, that's funny because I've got terribly tight hips as well, which I always have had. I um yeah. I, used to, I used to do kickboxing and um I couldn't kick kind of above like waist high, and the trainer was just baffled. He's like, "You just need to do more hip stretches." I'm like, "Mate, I'm <laughs> I'm doing as many hip stretches as bloody anyone else here, and my hips aren't getting any more flexible." <laughs> like it was it was pretty funny. Careful, um, because surgeons and he he said, "Oh." He showed me my hips and they were like egg, egg shapes when they ripped them out. Um, and he said there was, because I said, oh, you know, I always want to be flexible in my hips, but I never never could be. Um, and he said, well, you never would have been. He said yeah. these 30% of the market, 30% of, you know, society, oblong, you know, egg-shaped hips, and he said, most of the hips on the planet are round and they'll turn any way you like. He goes, but if you've got those these hips, you turn forwards and back really well, but you don't turn the other way very well and you never will and you never would have. So no matter how much yoga you did, and my yoga teacher used to try and bend me like a pretzel into, into these, they call it Padmasana, which is the main yogi sort of meditation. Yeah, yeah, I can't do that one. My hips will be off the ground. You're scared and this, and you're holding all your karma in your hips, and this is this is terrible. <laughs> it's exactly the kind of guilt I've been getting. I'm like, where where is everything stored? I've been stretching in for years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, um, but you know, I, I yeah, just uh, just some really encouraging kind of funny words that that book was awesome and i i um i thought that would be and as i said way i mean oh my god that that's uh that you know losing mates dying up the top of the himalayan mountains and and um you know and he they he was on that canoe trip with that Yvonne and um doug tompkins when doug um died the guy that was who does who, um him and his wife um uh god i can't remember her name uh, old ceo of patagonia but they went down and formed this amazing incredible and they gave it back to the chilean government doug tompkins he started and rick was there um and just one of the many stories um in rick's books where People passed over, and but some of the stuff he's done is just—it's—it's it's unbelievable. Highly recommend that. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Um, if you yeah. had, if you had to ride one board for the rest of your life, what would it be? <laughs> well, at the moment, I've ridden it in ten foot lengths, and I've ridden it in in one foot pass, and it it goes unreal. And so I would I would say at my age, sixty one, that would be the board. What what board was that? Sorry, mate, you just kind of dropped out when uh 
you name the board. Uh, uh, it's 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 a long. They call it a long fish. It's um. Yeah. It's made by a bloke up here called Ed Sinnett, San Juan, San Juan surfboards, and it uh, goes in one foot, ten foot. It's uh, it goes unreal. It's yeah. just. Uh, I mean, I've got other smaller boards, but if I was just to have one, where you know, if I was traveling around Australia and I had to take one board, I'd I'd probably just take that, chuck that on the car. I, I can't. I call it. I just have such good surfs on it, so. You know. awesome. You're the first person to give me a concrete answer. Everyone normally ums and ahs between 50 things. You're the first person that just had the board already in the quiver ready to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, where do you see the future of surfing going? Well, that, I think it's it's a really hard one to answer that. I think it'll definitely get split between kind of, you know, big money and then kind of um, – you know, where, you know, press cricket ground or the MCG or something like that, Coliseum style, uh, where it'll be really business money kind of sponsor kind of focused and then potentially I'm hoping that the other element, um, you know, will be that because I think everywhere is so crowded and everything's just sort of, you know, kind of, uh, congested. I think the other one will be that I'm hoping it'll kind of be like a survival meets bear grills, you know, like the eco challenge, free diving, swimming, bike riding, spearfish, <laughs> um, you know, hunting and say, right, you got to get from here to there. And each day we're going to do a different activity in the tanning and you haven't been eaten by a shark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like that harry potter um cup challenge where they all just get thrown into the <laughs> yeah the um, last question is why does the ocean matter to you oh god well i think you know surfing was one of the great tools that sort of woke me up from you know a deep sleep you know the the state that kind of gives you uh, feeling and and we're all trying to feel again. You know, a lot of us have desensitised and we're, we're really running around in our heads. And and um, when you get in the water, um, and and it's funny because I was reading recently that um, salt water, the ocean, is as the in in your mother's womb where you were born, the salt content of the water in the womb is exactly the same as the ocean. And so when we when we sit around for nine months inside our mother, um, when we do go to the ocean, it, it, it kind of must feel like we're going back to that um, warm, little, intimate place where we were held and loved by our beautiful mothers. Wow. I haven't heard that before. That um, makes a lot of sense. It's kind of like it's going home. Yeah, and and it's you know um, it's but but for me um, all the intellectual idealistic dogma and all the religions and all that that try and tell you um, you know how to live life or how to be happy or how to be you know how to get through this this sometimes miserable world um, 
nothing like diving in the ocean and staring at the stars and you know and sunset that that's that's all the love of surfing or the love of of being an ocean boy you know and that that's um changed my life been my greatest teacher so yeah. and so we're gonna look after it eh, Dan? Dan? <laughs> I don't know where we'd be without it. Probably being a mental asylum. Yeah. <laughs> and I do uh, just to finish on. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with citizens of uh, the Great Barrier Reef up up off Cairns, um, and uh, it's been a very amazing project. We're regenerating coral um, with uh, the um, with the reef census group um, and a reef co-op group, and. Uh, and it's just amazing, you know, the scientific advancements they get. They get, um, they tie coral back to these um, kind of vast uh, star pickets, and they 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 put it into you know grave grave sites, uh, old grave sites of uh, coral, and uh, and they're regrowing it, um, you know, to the size of the MCG, you know, huge huge amounts, um, which is really beautiful um, to see these these kind of. Um, people doing that kind of work. Um, so I'm hoping to the later part of this year, year, hoping that I can kind of start to do that in some other places around the Pacific and that's sort of where I want to take the next part of my road is to continue looking after the things that are in the ocean and, um, and um, yeah, keep, keep life simple and, and pure and, and uh, stay there as long as I can. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful, mate. I'm excited to hear that. And um, yeah, really appreciate your time today. And um, yeah, it's been great chatting. Learn a lot. And uh, thanks for the wisdom. And hopefully I can catch you for a wave when I'm up north next. Absolutely, mate. Give us a yell. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. It's awesome, buddy. Thank you. Catch you, Glenn. enjoyed this episode of ocean matters podcast powered by board socks then please don't forget to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we would be incredibly grateful to keep this show moving in the right direction and to keep spreading the word and the stories of the ocean's beautiful powers to people from all walks of life